Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. There, so mates, plenty to discuss on this Tuesday, January 3rd. Welcome to Fox News Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. We're honored to stand behind this desk yet another year mm-hmm. to take you on a journey across Black America and the stories that impact our people. We're going to continue to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. And as you can imagine, topping today's headlines, Damar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills remains in critical condition today after collapsing and going into cardiac arrest on the field inside of the first quarter. It happened during the Monday night football game that was against the Bengals. Take a listen. Oh, this is the last thing you want to see as they brought the stretcher out. They have that backboard out. Damar Hamlin is the one who was in on that stop on T. Higgins. And then he got up and just went right back down to the ground. That's uh, not what any of us want to see, and everybody's around him, and just hope that he's going to be okay. Yeah, an absolutely devastating moment as I watch it in real time myself. Now, medical crews quickly rushed to Hamlin's side, as you saw there, giving him CPR before being rushed to the hospital, leading NFL officials to postpone that game. The Bills released a statement saying Hamlin's heartbeat was restored on the field and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. Soccer legend Pele will be laid to rest in Brazil today. His body laid in state at his hometown stadium all day yesterday, giving fans an opportunity to pay their respects. His coffin will be carried through the streets of the city today, including down the street where his 100-year-old mother lives. A private funeral will be held for family members. FIFA plans to ask every country to name a soccer stadium after him. Pele died last week of colon cancer at the age of 82. Okay, a big loss there. Now, a family uh, of a 13-year-old who was shot and killed at a Columbus, Ohio apartment complex are demanding that authorities charge the man who killed him. Police allege that in October of 2022, 36-year-old Craig Butler, also a resident of that complex, fatally shot 13-year-old Sensei Reed. Butler was initially charged with Reed's homicide and ordered held on $1 million bond, but charges were later dropped pending further police investigation into Butler's claim of self-defense in that shooting. Now, in a statement, Columbus police say that detectives continue to, quote, investigate the circumstances of Mr. Reed's death and are still awaiting key forensic and ballistic evidence. They are also aware of the community's concerns regarding the investigation and ensured the community that the investigation is far from over. One of the three white South African men accused of racially attacking young black swimmers on Christmas Day have been charged with attempted murder. Murder. A video of the men using force to prevent the boys from using a resort swimming pool went viral and is now raising the concern of past racial segregation under apartheid. Now, many say this brings to light South Africa's ongoing struggle with racism almost three decades after white minority rule under apartheid ended. Community activists quickly took over the pool over the weekend in protest, saying this isn't the first time this has occurred and are demanding the men responsible for the attack be held accountable. The three suspects in this latest incident at the resort will appear in court again on January 25th. Some heavy stories there, Yeah, uh, starting with um, Hamlin. 
Uh, his uh, family actually just came out with a statement uh, thanking everybody for their love, their prayers and support. And as they are updated on his uh, condition, uh, they will be sure to update us, uh, fans um, uh, across really the world now, on his condition as well. So it sounds like um, a situation where they just don't know just yet. And uh, if you've ever been with a family member who mm -hmm. is in dire straits, ICU, uh, you know it's it's touch and go, and there's not a lot of answers, and that body just has to yeah. uh, take time to heal and the treatment, and it's really kind of guessing game. So uh, our prayers uh, to his his family and friends and the, the NFL uh, family and the union. That was really tough to see. Yeah, and, and I know, you know, the public has been responding mm -hmm. uh, to this uh, um, on social media, lots of tweets and posts about it, uh, but also a lot of donations uh, to mm -hmm. the charity. Uh, there's a children's charity uh, that he has. Uh, his foundation uh, gives to that, that charity, and a lot of folks have been giving money to that foundation. Um, and it's just yeah. another reminder of just sort of how violent the sport of football yeah. uh, can be. Uh, there's been lots of discussion over the years in terms of uh, the effects uh, on the brain mm -hmm. of NFL player. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've seen many cases where uh, the bodies of NFL football players, um, you know, sort of, you know, engage in sort of a rapid decline in part because of just, you know, how violent uh, the sport can be. And so uh, we're going to keep our eye on this story, uh, but our hearts go out to his family. And what I love about this moment is that it looks like the nation has really come together. I, I know that charity you mentioned, it started at about $2,500. I think the goal was maybe about 5,000. It is now swelled to well over uh, $4 million. And yeah. if we can, I mean, it, this is tragic in and of itself, but if we, if we can take anything positive from this moment is that as a country, we can come together no matter the race, uh, the, the, the creed, uh, and we can come together in faith and hope and support. And so if anything, I think this is a, an example uh, as a nation um, that we can, we can get along and that we can come together uh, and that uh, there is humanity left in this world despite some of these crazy headlines that we unfortunately have to cover here at Fox Souls Black Report. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on, U.S. Representative George Kenneth Butterfield, better known as GK, Representative GK of North Carolina, is departing his post a few days early, making a way for a brother to fill the position. Butterfield didn't seek re-election in November. His successor, Democrat State Senator Don Davis, will take the oath of office on today as the new edition of Congress is seated. Butterfield, who is a Democrat, has represented the first congressional district since 2004 and says he believes Davis will get the job done. Now, Davis previously served as mayor of Snow Hill and as a state senator. Congratulations. And speaking of public service, the youngest elected black mayor in the United States has officially taken office. 18-year-old Jalen Smith was sworn in this week in Earl, Arkansas. Smith won a runoff election last month by about 50 votes. The town has about 1,800 people, Smith says. He promises to improve safety in the town and get rid of abandoned houses. So Congratulations Norm, to him. I know, that's amazing. So normally, Lee Cordelai, we get into um, black excellence a little later on in the show, but we're going to keep this moving. There's a history-making appointment to Michigan's highest court as a black woman will now serve on the Michigan Supreme Court for the first time in the state's history. 34-year-old Kyra Harris-Bolden has been appointed to replace retiring Chief Justice Bridget McCormick. Bolden received her law license in 2024 and became a state representative in 2019. Now, what makes this accomplishment so remarkable? Listen into this. Uh, Justice Bolden is the great-granddaughter of a lynching victim. Her great-grandfather was lynched in Tennessee back in 1939 after asking a store owner for a receipt, a simple request. She says that injustice is what sparked her passion to enter law and fight for what's right. You know, I love this story mm -hmm. and it's a reminder of that famous quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that the arc of the moral universe is long, mm -hmm. but it bends towards justice. And uh, not only does it bend towards justice here in Michigan, but it's bending by a chief justice. 
uh, that is a part of that long walk to freedom. And so congratulations to her and congratulations to uh, Governor Whitmer, who appointed her. That's right. Uh, I mean, Gretchen. you know. It, it, Big Gretch is what, what we call her here in you know, Michigan. <laughs> we can't act like the appointment of uh, Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. uh, President Biden uh, is mutually exclusive from this appointment by Whitmer. And hopefully yeah. we see, you know, a lot more uh, black folks, black women uh, joining the ranks of the judiciary, uh, you know, we know that discrimination under the law, you know, um, is a part of the inception of this country. And mm -hmm. so I think one of the ways we, we atone for that and begin to address it in yeah. a real way is by uh, having a more diverse judiciary. And so congratulations to her. Congratulations to her. And talk about a, a full uh, circle moment when you talk about the injustice and being the great granddaughter of someone who was literally lynched. Um, a, a full circle, a long circle to get back around uh, to this day, but indeed a full circle moment. And so uh, if, if anything, you know, we're hoping stories like this will keep our soulmates, you, uh, encouraged to continue to push through and, and persevere. This is one of those stories that really rings true and, and makes, a, makes such a great point of, of that. Absolutely right. Well, switching gears and heading over to uh, my old stomping grounds, Northern California, uh, we're there dealing with some extreme flooding, several communities underwater after heavy rainfall over the weekend and more in the forecast. Fox's Ted Linder has the latest. Cleanup continues across swaths of Northern California. After this weekend's historic and deadly weather system called an atmospheric river storm triggered flash floods. The whole creek kind of overflow, everything in our backyard got filled with water, a lot of trees break down. The storm, categorized by long bands of water vapor that produce heavy rainfall and snow, washed out roads, submerged cars, generated mudslides, knocked out power to thousands and damaged infrastructure. The storm's intensity prompting evacuations and rescues as drivers were caught off guard. The truck lost traction, it floated, um, luckily it perched on something, I'm not sure what it, what it really perched on, allowed us to stay on top. We waited on top of the vehicle for what felt a couple hours, uh, EMS saved us. The rain also resulting in sinkholes like this one outside the entrance of the Oakland Zoo, forcing officials to close it down for at least two weeks for repairs. And most importantly, the animals are safe. Um, but we've now got to assess the property damage. We've got to clean up. There's mud, uh, you know, on the pathways and in the parking lots. So uh, it's been pretty extreme. Rural areas also upended. The storm crippling levee systems in Wilton, California, causing floodwaters to advance throughout farmland. Forecasters warn the dangers are not over for swamped communities. And another bout of heavy rainfall is expected to slam Northern California Wednesday and Thursday. And now experts are warning that a third atmospheric river storm is set to add to the destruction in California's flooded areas. So stay safe out there, soulmates. It's, this, is, this is nothing to play with. We yeah. were just talking about this earlier, how, you know, on the West Coast, we're seeing heavy rain. rain. Across the country, we're seeing deep freezes. Mm -hmm. We're seeing folks still digging themselves out of the snow. Yeah. Climate change is real. I, and I, I agree with that, and, and it's definitely affecting uh, these uh, weather patterns. And, and as you all, we're pretty much, uh, you know, swimming uh, on the West Coast. It, you know, here in the, in the Midwest, we were digging out, especially cities like Buffalo, who are still uh, trying to recover from that very, very deadly uh, winter uh, blizzard, uh, where we lost a lot of our soulmates. A lot of those uh, folks that you heard being talked about uh, were, were black and uh, were just trapped in their cars, tried to make it a block or two and just couldn't make it. And so uh, even though that story has kind of uh, left the headlines, if you will, uh, this story and, and others, when you talk about water crisis and things that have happened in, in our communities, um, you know, I think it, it's also a, a, a part of this show to really check in on those folks and yeah. those headlines and see how people are doing. That was mm -hmm. devastating. And it happened that Friday, right before Christmas, the yeah. Christmas weekend. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes we forget uh, about the, the homeless population, mm -hmm. the unhoused population um, out there. I know when I was in California, you know, I saw, you know, uh, 
uh, homeless people, unhoused people that were, you know, trying to create makeshift shelters wherever they were. Right. You know, imagine what life is like, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the floods and the so raining on the right. West Coast or the deep freezes, you know, uh, across the country, the snow on the East Coast. For someone who has no place to go. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all the more the reason why we've got to uh, turn up the volume and, and do a whole lot more to address homelessness across America. And so hopefully a lot of the mayors, the big city mm -hmm. mayors that are taking this on will be mm -hmm. be successful. And take care of Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think she'll be defeated, but uh, we give her a hard time. Mm -hmm. Take care of Mother Earth. That's right. Well, still ahead, a disturbing discovery at the Panera Bread. Oh, yeah, we'll tell you what workers found in the bathroom that now has law enforcement involved. Those stories are more coming up. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. According to the analysis by the Chicago Crusader, the positivity rates in 16 black zip codes on December 26 jumped to the highest levels in two weeks as rising cases forced city officials to urge residents to get vaccinated and wear masks in public settings. Yeah, we're talking about COVID-19 here. You might want to put those masks back on. The latest Chicago Department of Public Health data shows over 70% of Chicago's 2.7 million residents are fully vaccinated, but only about 56% of the city's nearly 770,000 black residents have received both doses of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccinations. Uh, only about 30% of blacks have received an additional booster shot. Now, despite the rising cases, there were only two COVID-19 deaths in uh, the 20 black zip codes, uh, the lowest in months. That's still too many, but much better uh, statistic there. Stay safe. A black medical student who gained a large following on TikTok by debunking health care and racial disparities in medicine has received a $25,000 scholarship from Taco Bell's Live Mas Foundation. I was on television for my TikTok, but check it out. Labeling should change. Joelle Burvell is a medical student whose TikTok video on this underlying racial bias went viral. So my percentage right now is 98%. 100% is like the max, but most people are between like 98, 95 to 100. What it's essentially looking for is it's looking for your oxygen saturation of hemoglobin. And so it's seeing how much light is absorbed back from that hemoglobin. But in darker skin tones, melanin also absorbs light. And so it can cause that number to be increased. My name is Joel Burrell. I'm a fourth year medical student at Washington State University, but I'm doing a research here right now at Johns Hopkins. In medicine, there's a myth online I'm better known as the medical myth buster for talking about issues of healthcare disparities that exist and have long been overlooked in medicine. One of those examples is pulse oximeters. Joelle Burvell has over 600,000 followers and over 110 million impressions. Burvell has made a name for himself while studying to become a doctor in a field where only 5% of physicians are black. Bravell is currently studying orthopedic surgery at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore and is scheduled to graduate in 2024. We love to see oh, it, don't we? Oh, we love to see it. And I've, I have followed him and uh, just one word, genius. Yeah. I mean, he just oozes just, um, you know how sometimes something is in you, like, you know, to be maybe athletically inclined or you just artsy, artsy, fartsy. I think that's just in him to just be, you know, a scientist and, and, and a, a man of medicine, who happens to be a black man of medicine, but his genius just, uh, you know, far extends what he is, his discipline, because he talks about a myriad of different uh, uh, medical situations and, and scenarios and things of that nature that he's thought about. And he's just really fascinating to, to follow. He really is. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, and I just think about all the lives that will be saved because of his discovery. I mean, yeah. because, you know, he made it his business Right. Uh, to investigate and interrogate this technology that's widely used in healthcare facilities uh, across the country and around the world, you know, he was able to uh, really develop the data mm -hmm. uh, to be able to say, you know, wait a minute, you know, black folks and folks of color are impacted differently with this technology. Mm -hmm. It's not fully uh, registering um, our blood oxygen levels as it should. And what an incredible discovery. And so I hope that serves as an inspiration for uh, all of our soulmates out there that, uh, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, to, to question yeah. uh, technology and whether or not it is accurately 
uh, and fairly uh, mm -hmm. capturing uh, the information that can possibly save more black lives. And if I can remember correctly, he's been at this for a minute, but just now getting the recognition uh, for his findings. So um, an extra big ups to him as he continued to once again persevere and push to get his point across. That's right. All right, moving along, the presence of police in schools actively jeopardizes the safety of black students compared to their counterparts of other races, according to a report the, uh, by the Advancement Project and the Alliance for Educational Justice. Now, black students were subjected to more than 80% of the incidents of police violence accounted for in the survey, which analyzed more than 285 incidents over a decade. At least 60% of police assaults on students resulted in serious injury to the students, including broken bones, concussions, and hospitalizations. Now, the report also cited 24 cases of sexual assault and five student deaths. Now, the report named uh, hashtag Assault uh, Spring Valley uh, after a 16-year-old black girl attended Spring Valley High School in Columbia, South Carolina, was placed in a headlock and flipped over in her desk, then dragged and thrown across her classroom by a police officer. That happened back in 2015. According to a new report, Penn State University's new administration, led by President Neely Bendapudi, has backtracked on several racial justice policies installed under previous leadership, including the planned construction of the $3.5 million Center for Racial Justice. A letter pinned to the university and signed by over 400 school faculty members across various Penn State campuses expressed their disappointment in the decision and claimed that it was the latest incident in a long list of broken promises on issues of racial justice by the school. According to a report, the vast array of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives spawned at Penn State in 2020 was met by skepticism by some members of the school's board of trustees. According to a new report from the Education Trust, the U.S. population is more diverse than ever, but college and university faculty are still overwhelmingly white, you don't say. Now, according to uh, Ed Trust's research, black and Latino students are going to college in greater numbers and they are more likely to graduate when they have faculty members who look like them and can serve as positive mentors and role models. White students who interact with diverse faculty are more likely to develop deeper cross-cultural and critical thinking skills and greater levels of empathy. Ed Trust researchers found that more than 57% of the institutions had failing grades for black faculty diversity, uh, while other three quarters, 79% uh, had F grades for Latino faculty diversity and maybe knee quarter lie. This is another reason why black uh, students should consider an HBCU. I know my experience at Michigan State University, I don't remember a, a, a black professor, a, maybe a black grad advisor, maybe not. Uh, or, or a, a student teacher, anything like that. So uh, for me, the stats are on point. Yeah, and, and both of these stories really hold hands. I mean, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, my um, experience as a student. I didn't have a, a, a black professor mm -hmm. until I was in graduate school. Mm. Uh, I went to the University of Southern California, then Pepperdine, and that's part of the reason why I teach is mm -hmm. because I understand the power of, of being in higher education mm -hmm. Um, you know, as a, as a black man, where you don't see a lot of black men, let alone black gay people, uh, in higher education. Uh, and both of these stories really hold hands uh, because at Penn State, uh, the Board of Trustees, they're raising concerns that mandating anti-racism classes at Penn State would only further politicize college education. Well, you know, it's not just the content, mm -hmm. you know, but it's who is delivering the mm -hmm. content, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I couldn't help but think about Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was up for tenure at uh, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And at the last second, it was the Board of Trustees nope. that yeah. said, Put, nope. a, put, a, put a stop to it. No tenure, even yeah. after, you know, there were uh, a whole gang of faculty mm -hmm. members, you know, that had supported uh, her tenure. And That's so, right. you know, it's one thing uh, for university presidents 
to call for diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and to lead on that, it's another thing for them to be able to do it with the support of board of trustees. And so in this coming year, I think we've got to lay our sights on these board mm -hmm. of trustees uh, to ensure that they are carrying out the will of the students and the alumni uh, and me helping to meet the moment. I don't think it's a far stretch to say that maybe the board didn't care too much for the 1619 project. I would not be surprised. That's all I have to say. But you know what? Every day <laughs> and every year offers a new chance, a That's new right. opportunity. And so who knows, maybe they woke up on New Year's Day and decided they were going to do better. There you go. I hope so. <laughs> well, uh, now on to uh, the Capitol where William J. Walker, the former head of the D.C. National Guard during the Capitol riot, said the quiet part out loud when he told the January 6th committee the law enforcement response would have been much different if the rioters were black people. Walker told the committee that uh, he saw enough to where he would have probably used deadly force. The former Drug Enforcement Administration official also described his own experiences with discriminatory police stops. Five people died during the January 6th Capitol riot, while 725 people were arrested and charged for their actions on that day. The January 6th Election Committee released its final report just last week and has recommended that Congress bar former President Donald Trump from running for office again. And to Louisiana now, where authorities' use of facial re recognition technology, here we go again, led to the mistaken identity arrest of a Georgia man on a fugitive warrant after a Baton Rouge uh, Police Department detective adopted the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office's misidentification to secure an arrest warrant. Now, according to local reports, 28-year-old Randall Reed was jailed in late November in DeKalb County, Georgia, for allegedly being among three men involved in luxury purse in a luxury purse theft. Reed is black and his arrest brings new attention to the use of technology. Critics say results in a higher rate of misidentification of people of color uh, than of white people. Now legislation to restrict the use of facial recognition statewide died in uh, 2021 and at a, inside of a legislative session. A concerning discovery in Gross Point, Michigan, uh, right outside of Detroit, as restaurant workers find a makeshift noose in the bathroom. Yeah, now police are trying to figure out who's behind the disturbing stunt. Fox 2's Ingrid Kelly has more. I think that's horrendous. A popular eatery in Gross Point is now a crime scene. I had to be to work the next day at 5 a.m. and I was terrified to come here at five in the morning because I didn't know what to expect. Karima Regular is an assistant general manager at this Panera Bread, where she says inside the men's restroom, the unthinkable took place. What happened Friday evening, um, one of my team managers went into the men's restroom and he discovered this noose that was made out of paper towel. I'm hanging in the stall. Police were called to the scene to investigate what is now being labeled a hate crime. It was very alarming. Um, it's very disturbing and it makes you very uncomfortable. As the investigation continues, surveillance video is a key part of this case. He was looking at the surveillance cameras. Um, they were able to pick up um, a group of students that were here around the time of the incident. So they were able to get some footage of those students. So now we're just waiting to see, you know, what the outcome is. Although Gross Point has a predominantly white population, the staff at this location on Kirchival is not. 99% of us that works here is black. So there's no way around it that it wasn't intended for us. For this member of management, what's even more disheartening about this incident is that as we usher in the new year, this incident takes you back in time. It's unfortunate in 2023 that we're still living like this. Fox 2 reached out to the corporate office for Panera Bread, and the wait continues for a response. We also reached out to city officials, and we were provided a statement which reads in part, this is a hate crime that is unacceptable and will not be tolerated in our community. The noose, which is a symbol of human oppression and violence, has no place here. Any attempts at racial intimidation will be dealt with to the full extent of the law. City officials are calling on anyone with information about this crime to report it to police. They find out who did this and that this can come to an end and that justice be served for us and for my staff and for my customers because my customers are hurt by this too. In Gross Point, Ingrid Kelly, Fox 2 News.
Investigators say this was an isolated incident and that no similar reports have been made. Yeah, we thank uh, Ingrid Kelly uh, for that report. And yeah. uh, we talked a lot about this uh, upstairs before we came came down here to the studio. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Panera Bread Corporate, they've been pretty slow out the gates to respond mm -hmm. as, as mm -hmm. of the time we filed this report. They hadn't said anything, even though the mayor had put out a statement, you know, but, you know, we heard one of the workers talk about how how alarming mm -hmm. this was, how disturbing it was, you know, and you know how it makes folks, you know, a, a whole very, 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 very uneasy. Um, and it's not just the workers, but it's also the customers. Mm -hmm. That's what this kind of cowardly stuff is intended to do. Uh, and you know, it's good to see at least the mayor of Gross Point responding swiftly. Uh, you know, these these hate crimes um, and hate crimes investigations continue. Uh, but you know, how cowardly is that? It, it, it is, and at I told, a Panera I, I know, and I totally agree with you. But at the same time, you know. I know what, what a noose means and what it represents, as Ingrid so eloquently mentioned in, in the piece there. Um, but when you think about what, what, when, when they use that, the time frame when they use that, and that we're generations and generations from that particular era, I think now when you, when you, when you, when you put a noose, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, it's, it doesn't intimidate me. What it says to me is, oh, you, you want some heat. <laughs> you want some action. Mm -hmm. This is where you want to go. Because in this day and age, fast forward, with social media, with cameras, with videos, um, you probably are not going to get away with that, especially if you have law enforcement who is fair, who, as the, the, the mayor uh, stated, uh, would not tolerate hate crimes like this. So for me, it's not an intimidating thing. It's like, really? But what it does say to me is, oh, you, 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 you want some action, mm -hmm. you, you, you know. So that, that's where I, I am with it. But I do hope that, uh, you know, if, if, if in fact these uh, kids are responsible, that they are handled, addressed, handled, and uh, there are some consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, coming up, Bethune Cookman has a new coach. We'll tell you who it is if you don't already know. Plus a long overdue tribute to civil rights activists. Don't you go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You're watching Fox News Black Report. Welcome back, Soulmates. If you're just joining us, let's uh, tap back into our top stories. Everybody's still talking about the well-being of DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills, who is still in critical condition today after collapsing and going into cardiac arrest on the football field early in the first quarter of last night's Monday night football game. That was against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, uh, medical crews, uh, as you all probably saw, rushed to Hamlin's side, giving him CPR for a number of moments before being rushed to the hospital. Hospital. That led to NFL officials postponing the game and eventually suspending uh, the game. Now, the Bills released a statement saying Hamlin's heartbeat was restored on the field and he was then transferred to UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. We will keep you updated. Soccer legend Pele will be laid to rest in Brazil today. His body laid in state at his hometown stadium all day yesterday, giving fans an opportunity to pay their respects. His coffin will be carried through the streets of the city today, including down the street where his 100-year-old mother still lives. A private funeral will be held for family members. Pele died last week of colon cancer at the age of 82. FIFA, uh, FIFA excuse me, plans to ask every country to name a soccer stadium after him. And the youngest elected black mayor in the U.S. has officially taken office. 18, I said it, 18-year-old Jalen Smith was sworn in this week in Earl, Arkansas. Smith won a runoff election last month by about 50 votes. The town has about 1,800 people. Smith says he promises to improve safety in the town and get rid of abandoned houses. Good luck to him. All right, cleanup continues across Northern California after an atmospheric river storm triggered deadly flash floods over the holiday weekend. Look at there. The storm washed out roads, generated mudslides, and knocked out power to thousands of people. The rain also caused sinkholes, forcing the Oakland Zoo to close down for the next two weeks for repairs. And forecasters say the danger isn't over yet. Another bout of heavy rainfall is expected to slam the area later this week. Stay safe out there, soulmates. Nicole, back to you. 
Stay safe indeed. Thanks, Courtney. Well, it looks like the transgender community is getting their own boxing tournament. World Boxing Council President Mauricio Suleiman announced the plans to create a transgender league and tournament within the sport he oversees. The World Boxing Council will begin to reach out to interested parties this year. The president told The Telegraph in a published article, quotes, it is time to do this. We've been the leaders in, in rules for women's boxing, so the danger of a man fighting a woman will never happen because of what we're going to put in place. And a little history here. I uh, want to ask soulmates, have you ever heard of the Louisville Black Six? Neither have I. Here we go. In May of 1968, a traffic stop of a black school teacher by the name of Charles Thomas turned violent and led to six black Americans uh, to be scapegoated. Now, more than 50 years after their arrests uh, led to a week of protests and riots in the city's Parkland neighborhood, the Louisville Black Six are being honored with a historic marker located in downtown, along with a long overdue apology. Now, the new marker reads in part, quote, six black Americans who later became known as the Black Six were scapegoated and falsely charged with conspiracy in connection with the unrest and faced additional accusations of planning to blow up oil refineries in the West End and destroy private property. Now, members of Black Six were Ruth Bryant, James Cortez, Walter T. Pete, uh, Walter T., Pete Cosby, Samuel Hawkins, Manfred Reed, and Robert K.U. Sims. Some of them barely knew each other. They lost their livelihoods and suffered irreparable harm to their reputations. The first black woman to run for U.S. president and who led the crusade to free Angela Davis has passed away. We know a lot of you thought that Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman to run for president, but it was actually Charlene Mitchell. According to the New York Times, Mitchell died on December 14th in a Manhattan nursing home. As per her son, Stephen Mitchell, uh, she was an advocate for feminism and civil rights, and she was against police violence and for economic equality. Uh, Mitchell ran for president in 1968, launching a campaign and running as the nominee for the Communist Party, the political party she joined at the age of 16. Now, reportedly, Mitchell also made history as the first third-party candidate to ever be placed on a ballot by a federal court other than the U.S. Supreme Court. Wow, the read up on her, I did not know that. The National Black Caucus of State Legislators has elected Representative Laura Hall, Laura Hall of Alabama to serve as the 15th national president. Now, the National Black Caucus of State Legislators is the nation's premier organization exclusively serving the interests of African-American state legislators. With more than 700 members collectively representing over 60 million Americans, the organization serves as a national network advocate and catalyst for public policy innovation, information exchange, and joint action on critical issues. Three black women law students have made history as editors of three of Penn's seven law journals. Shayla Sherrod, 25, Simone Hunter Hobson, 24, and Layla June West, 27, are the selected editors for three out of the seven law journals at the University of Pennsylvania. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, the women are a part of the 7.2% of black students out of a total of 824 student body at the law school. Now, reportedly, uh, Penn has appointed the most black editors of its primary law review compared to any other wow. university. Wow. We love to see it. Yes, we do. All in their mid to late 20s. I feel like I'm not doing enough of my life. Beautiful, brilliant, magical. Love that story. Here's another one you're going to love. Ed Reed, Super Bowl champion and nine-time Pro Bowl selection with the Baltimore Ravens, has agreed to become the next head football coach at Bethune-Cookman. I know my cousin Blake Jackson was very happy, former athlete there. The announcement comes straight from the university, according to ESPN. Reed, who was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2019, becomes the latest high-profile um, uh, athlete to former athlete to coach in the HBCU ranks. This will be Reed's first head coaching job ever. 
who served as the chief of staff and senior football advisor at his alma mater, the University of Miami, for the last three seasons. This is a good look, especially after, you know, the exit of prime time and how that chat has sort of kind of, you know, fizzled out, especially over the holiday season. And maybe this sets yet a new precedent of precedent of these, um, you know, guys who are still rambunctious and passionate about the sport to move into coaching and these opportunities being at HBCUs. Well, I'm just happy to Come say on, I, Daytona I, Beach. I, I told y'all so. I told y'all so. <laughs> um, you know, I thought it was it was terrific to mm -hmm. see Deion Sanders, Coach Primetime, mm -hmm. you know, uh, give back mm -hmm. to Jackson State University. Uh, and, you know, they had an incredible year while he was head coach mm -hmm. and the program got a lot of attention and a lot of additional investment. Um, and while he's he's made his uh, venture back to to the West, to mm -hmm. Colorado State, uh, to be the head coach there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my hope was that so many other former football players, you know, former greats, you know, would come out of retirement and you know would follow his lead. And here we are. And I have a feeling that this is only the tip of the iceberg. I, I was going to say, maybe that is the bigger legacy, uh, the bigger exclamation point, if you will, of um, Coach Prime's move to an HBCU. A lot of people thought, you know, he was he was crazy for going. Those those of us thought it was a it was a great idea. It definitely brought uh, the, the lights, the camera and the action. And, and I think no doubt, uh, like uh, Reed here, it will influence hopefully uh, others uh, to uh, to to definitely uh, do the same and follow suit. It appears to be where the opportunities are. You know, you, these other leagues, whether it be professional, collegiate, uh, don't seem to be giving much of, of opportunities. Where if it's at an HBCU, I say go for it. You never know where it might land you. That's right. That's yeah. right. We love to see it here, and uh, we'll keep you in the know as, mm -hmm. uh, as we uh, look for other NFL greats uh, to perhaps be a part of this legacy in the making. See. Still ahead, Hollywood and the black community are mourning the loss mm. of some greats. Yeah, plus new music from an old artist. Are we calling this man old? Find out which rapper is stepping back into the studio when we return. Is he old? I don't think he's, he's old. my age. That's not That's old. That's not old. That's not I old. Well, the rap community is mourning the sudden death mm. of an artist seen as a pioneer of female rap. Memphis-based rapper Gangsta Boo was found dead at her home yesterday. TMZ is reporting it was a possible drug overdose. The 43-year-old, whose real name is Lola Mitchell, was a former member of the rap group 3-6 Mafia. TMZ also says a fentanyl-laced substance is believed to be at play. Police are waiting for autopsy results before determining the actual cause of her death. All right, if you're an Earth, Wind & Fire fan as I am, then you know this story really hits home. Earth, Wind & Fire drummer and prodigy Fred White has died. Born in Chicago, White joined the band in 1974 playing hits like Shining Star, mm -hmm. September, and Boogie Wonderland. He was the half-brother of the late Maurice White and the younger brother of bassist Verdine White. Uh, the band, which has its origins in jazz, R&B, funk, disco, and soul, went on to sell more than 90 million albums worldwide. White's cause of death has not been made public. Fred White was 67 years old. Oh, we are losing some greats. As singer Anita Pointer, one of the founding members of the Pointer Sisters, died at the age of 74 over the weekend at her home in L.A. after a battle with cancer. Pointer, born in Oakland, uh, she and her sisters, June, Bonnie, and Ruth, grew up singing in their dad's church in Oakland. The group won three Grammy Awards and had more than a dozen top 20 songs in the 70s and 80s, including I'm So Excited and Jump. Preceding her in death is Sister June, who died back in 2006, and Sister Bonnie, who died in 2020. Anita Pointer was 74 years old, and when you talk about a generation of musicians whose music will live forever and ever, mm -hmm. it's like 
you know, thank God for the memories and thank God for the music. And let me tell you something about the Pointer Sisters, honey. Uh, slow hand and automatic, my two faves. <laughs> and uh, you just lost Bonnie not too long ago. And, and all of them, um, I think Bonnie might have been drug related, if, if I'm not mistaken, and, and some just other illnesses and, and things that uh, unfortunately took, took them too soon. But just the rich legacy when you talk about the Pointer Sisters, when you talk about Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, they'll live forever. Yeah, yeah, and, and part of how and why they'll live forever, you know, a lot of us remember their songs in some of our favorite movies, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, That's right. how many movies have, I'm so excited, how, how many movies has that song mm -hmm. uh, been featured in? And, mm -hmm. and that's one of the beautiful things about music is mm -hmm. that it never dies. Mm -hmm. and, and the spirit, the creativity uh, of these musicians never die. Mm -hmm. um, I've mentioned before that uh, Earth, Wind & Fire was the very first concert I ever attended. Uh, my mom and aunt took me to see Earth, Wind and Fire at the Concord Pavilion in the Bay Area and it has informed my musical taste mm -hmm. uh, ever since and so uh, I know uh, I'm going to be rocking to some Earth, Wind and Fire after yeah. after we wrap up today you, in, you in honor of, in of a great drummer. I, I know, right? Mm -hmm. right. I, I want to say Ruth is, is the only uh, original pointer sister uh, that is left here on Earth with us in, in the physical form but uh, they were still touring and, and performing. Mm -hmm. I think some of the daughters uh, nieces uh, had, had joined uh, in the group to keep that legacy going. So I, I don't think we've heard the last of, of the Pointer Sisters as uh, the next generation is keeping that, that uh, family's uh, legacy alive for sure. Speaking of the next generation, not sure if uh, 50 Cent <laughs> will drop a full album this year, but the music and film mogul confirm that he will drop new music. On New Year's Day, 50 took to Instagram to congratulate Eminem for being YouTube's 2022 most watched rapper. And in the caption, he informed followers that new music is on the way. Hip Hop All Day confirmed Eminem earned over 5 billion plays on YouTube in the past 12 months. Wow. Doja Cat came in second on the list with 3 billion plays. Drake and NBA Youngboy tied with 2.9 uh, uh, billion plays uh, and Lil Baby completed the top five with 2.1 billion plays and without any new music 50 still landed at number 11 on the list with 1.8 billion plays he finished behind Fixture, Lil Nas X, Juice World, and Nicki Minaj. <laughs> 50's last album was Animal Ambition which he dropped in 2014. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, streaming, baby. That's where it's at. It will, it will keep your, your, your um, career alive. Meek Mill uh, can finally mark taking his first trip to Africa as the rapper was there to headline the Afro Nation Festival in Ghana over the holiday weekend. Now, during the visit, Meek spoke to Ghana's president about his upbringing and the work he has done to improve communities of color through his Reform Alliance Foundation. My adult life was in prison because of uh, not committing crime, wrongly accused. So when I got locked up, uh, my whole city, I would say country, half of my country stood up for me. I grew up in a single parent uh, household, just me and my mom, uh, probably grandmom, you get support, two uncles. We never really had support, so when you get these type of people supporting you, when I got out of prison, I wanted to make sure I give that back to the people. And, you know, we started a foundation where we raised $100 million within like two years. Uh, very powerful people from all races, Asian, black, white, uh, Spanish. We put them, we all in a room like this, and we take our power and influence and try to change laws from state to state. And I always express to them, I make music. They met me making music. They use me as a trampoline, as the door to be able to access kids from 8 to 50 years old. I tell them that I, I'm not a politician. Uh, God put me in this position, and I'm going to remain it and hold it as an open door. I use rap as my trampoline to be able to communicate and have the reach that I have. That's what got me in this room with the president right here making music. So I use that as my door to keep activating things. And making it to Ghana is a dream of mine to always be able to come back here and do anything. I don't know what to tell you that you would like or love, but anything that builds, anything that connects the bridge to the young black people where we come from, because we don't know about this. American officials don't really talk to us like that, and just being invited here. Uh, I was willing to stay here all day just to meet some black, strong people that really come from where we come from. So I appreciate you, and thank you for having us uh, today. 
on Meek Mill. He also shared snippets of the trip in his IG stories, even posted that he thought someone had taken his phone while on the trip. Little pickpocket. He didn't know if that was quite the case. But in all, Meek says that not that uh, making it to Ghana has always been a dream of his and to always be able to come back and do anything that he says builds a bridge between America and the motherland. Gotta love Meek Mill. What a what a turnaround, right? Yeah, yeah. And I really love that, you know, Meek Mill has been really consistent in terms of building bridges mm -hmm. and showing up for uh, some of the forgotten uh, in our community. Mm -hmm. I know uh, he recently paid the bail for 20 women uh, who said that they could just so they, they could spend the holiday at, at home. This is according to the Reform Alliance. It's the organization that he referenced uh, in that soundbite, mm -hmm. uh, an organization that he launched in 2019 alongside Jay-Z. And so, you know, it's good to see somebody who was formerly incarcerated. You know, he's coming out and he's paying it forward. And, you know, what a powerful demonstration of, of, of what's possible. Uh, when we don't turn our backs, you know, on on folks, but we we lean in and uh, we encourage them and we support them uh, in life after being incarcerated. And I like how he said rap was his uh, trampoline. I know uh, the hip hop culture, rap music, it's a it's a tough tough rap, even though it's pretty mainstream and everybody loves it. Everybody wants to be a rapper. Everybody wants to be a gangster, if you will. Um, but it it really has been transformative in regards to uh, some of the early uh, rap artists who have just, um, you know, exploded and have just evolved into A-listers. You've got Queen Latifah, you've mm -hmm. got Will Smith. You know, you even have the likes of, of Meek Mill becoming like, I can see him being a politician soon. I mean, he, I don't know if that's his thing, but I mean, he's really, really, you know, paving that that uh, way for himself uh, in regards to the stance that he's taken and what he's created to better the community. If, if he so. keeps this up, I think Meek Mill might, uh, <laughs> might uh, run for president, for president? Uh, before uh, Kanye. <laughs> uh, still ahead, black oh. excellence. We'll be right back. Did you just say Kanye? I did. Man, please. <laughs> Can you imagine a Meek Mill versus Kanye, right? I think Mill has the votes. The Black Alliance gives <laughs> back. <laughs> All right, soulmates, meet Norlin James and wife, Dr. Amina Gilliard James, owners of the newest Black-owned Quality Inn Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, with the help from investors. The two were able to acquire the 70-room property located in the Raleigh neighborhood, part of the city, for $3.85 million. Big ups. Now, the couple isn't new to the industry. Between 2019 and 2021, they invested in two Hilton-branded hotels as limited partners with the goal to acquire more mid-scale hotel properties in the southern and midwest regions of the country. That's right. And when the couple was asked why Memphis, they say choosing the city as a location was a no-brainer. After doing thorough research, they learned that the hotel market in Memphis is seen uh, as has, has seen uh, one of the strongest pandemic recoveries in the U.S. And even more, corporate expansion to the area has driven job growth and increased travel to the area. And so we love to see yeah. it. All the more reason to get that water together, Memphis. That's right. That's <laughs> but that, right. But that's, you know, we love to tap into black excellence, especially as we, you know, wrap up the show, because sometimes the stories can be so heavy mm -hmm. and negative. But, you know, this shows that, that we are still out there and we are still progressing. And, and even though they might be little little baby steps, um, when you all bring the when you bring those accomplishments together, you can see that uh, we're, we're doing some things. Out that's here. right. There are peaks and valleys right. when we look across uh, what's happening uh, mm -hmm. in black America. And that was certainly a peak yes. uh, that we just saw uh, in Memphis. And, you know, a great town for barbecue, by the way. The Memphis barbecue, haven't had any yet. Yeah, well, we need to try it. Maybe we'll do this road trip. Do they have I keep talking about doing a road trip. Let's do a road trip. Do they have tofu barbecue? Because I don't eat. Oh, you doing the Daniel Fast? Yeah. Well, no, I just don't eat pork. But the Daniel <laughs> okay. Fast is good at the top of the year, though. Okay, well, that's what I'm doing. Oh, are you? Join me, soulmates. <laughs> Until next time, I'm the Cordelai Corte. I'm Courtney Hicks. Stay lifted. Okay, Daniel Fast. That's right. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good one. It really is good. Though. It is. It's, it is. It's amazing.